0: Hi, this is Kendall Linskeep. You're listening to Your Morning Coffee Podcast with Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. From Billboard, music streaming revenue growth expected to fall by 3% by
1: 2029, says Media Research. From Rick Beato, this insider Spotify data is mind-blowing.
0: And another from Billboard, the music business is finally... Starting to pay attention to streaming fraud, mm-hmm. boy. We have got an episode, Jay. I am ready. <laughs> it's our one hundred and forty fifth edition of the podcast, so we're glad you're here. Kick back, relax, and let Jay and I wax poetic right about now.
1: Stand by for transmission. This is London Court. Wake up. Your morning coffee is on the air, 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 for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority.
0: With someone you miss Heavy like a pillowcase of bricks Uh, Feels like a punch when it hits Grief is a bitch Depression's so hard It sneaks in and poisons your heart Builds you
1: a cage in the dark Uh, The only way out looks too far Depression's so hard
0: if you know then you know and if you know guess i'm not alone to see you, Jay. Uh, We've been talking for an hour before we even hit record. <laughs> yes, we have.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. You, uh,
0: you had a great trip to Nashville, it sounds like. I'm so sad that I couldn't make it out. I really
1: am bummed. But, uh, yeah, you you, really you made come up for the fun time. that I
0: would have had, I think. You, you, you were
1: missed, fun. my friend. You were, oh, you you were missed. Um, and before we talk about that, how about uh, Kendall Innskeep, the uh, intro and her uh, oh, new single, If You Know You Know. She's special.
0: She is good, yeah. I, I expect and, and suspect big things with her. That's going to be a really talented artist. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll be hearing from her again. But uh, yeah, so let's talk a little bit about, about Nashville. Man, you had a great time, it sounds like. That's what we were talking about for the last hour.
1: I'm, oh, my gosh. Uh, just, I'm jealous. What a week. Uh, just what a week. There were so many great discussions. It was really amazing seeing everybody. Um, I, I moderated a panel um, well, really, it was an interview um, with Tracy Chan um, over at SoundCloud, and it was so amazing, uh, all the things that they're doing there at uh, at SoundCloud. Tracy is the VP of Creator at SoundCloud, and actually, he's joining us this coming week uh, to talk about it a little bit, so we're not going to get too deep into it, but... We're really going to be discussing this new tool that they launched that lets artists use SoundCloud and their proprietary data to discover, but get this connect directly with their most engaged fans, not only that, and artists that follow them uh, on SoundCloud And I got to moderate a panel. Well, it wasn't really, again, it wasn't really a panel. It was just me interviewing uh, Tracy, you know, about the industry and about, you know, the changes and what's going on at SoundCloud. But you'll remember, we've talked about Tracy for a while. Um, He was one of the uh, people who came up with Spotify for artists when he was with Spotify. And then he went over to Twitch. And of course, unfortunately we had the lockdown and Twitch, just blew up and it became much more than just this place for gamers to kind of broadcast uh, their shows. Musicians got in on the act and it was amazing. And he was kind of my go to guy there. Well, fast forward to today, he's over at SoundCloud and we just had this amazing discussion there at uh, Music Biz in a ballroom full of uh, a couple hundred of our favorite friends.
0: Well, I would be proud if I just had done one of those things that he's done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you were saying when we were talking before, again, before record, uh, I mean, you've, I, I've been to certainly over the years back when it was called NARM, I went to a couple of NARMs, um, but I, I wasn't really sales guy. Um, but uh, you were saying that out of all, and you've been to a ton of them, if not all of them. Uh, You were saying that this was your favorite one probably out of the last 25 years.
1: Yeah, I've been going for over 25 years. It used to be NARM, National Association of Recording Merchandisers, really sort of based on, you know, Tower, uh, Warehouse, Mm Musicland, Sam Goody, you know, Indies, all of that. And it's evolved. And I think Portia Sabin and her team have done this amazing job of this evolution of going from purely physical retail to now going to streaming um but also uh, having discussions about artists and uh, fairness and you know it's not about the configuration um but there there are plenty of panels for indie retail but a lot of things on inclusion and a lot of panels you know and workshops on these different dsps and platforms and whatever you wanted to learn about. Um, there were tons of conversations going and my only frustration was that sometimes they're double booked and I couldn't see everything that I want, but some of them were recorded. Um, some of them weren't and I can't wait to kind of go back and uh, see some of those. So on Tuesday I moderated that, um, SoundCloud discussion. On Wednesday, I was the MC for some digital panels, and the theme was really growing the business. Um, The first panel was uh, was so great. It was Tatiana Cirasano, who you and I talk Mm -hmm. about frequently on this show. Um, She did a presentation, and the headline was, How Much More Can the Music Business Grow? A Look at Streaming Today and Beyond. And we'll touch on that a little deeper in a moment. The second one in that series was, It was called the sky's the limit. How big can the music industry get? And then the third one was where to find the next billion dollars of music business growth. And that was moderated by my friend, Christopher Bell, who's the global head of music and radio solutions for uh, AWS great guy and he had some really interesting guests on there. He had, you know, Rachel Scarpati a senior director of national or a digital strategy at Warner Music Group, uh, Ronil Rumberg, he's the CEO of wow. Audius, but the one I was most excited about was Jessica Powell, who you and I've talked about before. She's the CEO of Audio Shake, and mm. they do a lot of things, but one of the things that you may have read about and that we've talked about, Is that her company uses AI to remove vocals, you know, from a song, for example, or a guitar. And they did a thing with Green Day, you and I were talking about where they removed Billy Joe's guitar and then had this content or contest on TikTok where you could play along with a Green Day song.
0: Well, yeah, and you were talking about how you know this—the the one of the cases for this technology is when you have when you want to get individual tracks from multi tracks and you can't locate the session tapes, basically. Yeah. And uh, I remember when I was at Universal, we had this scenario where we wanted to do this was in the early days of surround sound. And we wanted to do, of course, the Steely Dan catalog, and so I went I went over to back then Universal Studios where we had our vault. I pulled the two-inch reels, the twenty-four-track session reels from the first <laughs> Steely Dan album. Wow! And we pulled it, we opened it up, and there was this old piece of cellophane tape on the end. And we're like, "That's weird." And we we put it on the tape machine and reeling in the years. Maybe their most famous song was gone. Couldn't couldn't can't make surround sound mixes if you don't have the session tapes. And it these there were there were ways of kind of. You know, take, taking the stereo masters and getting this kind of sort of surround sound, but you really need those not the same tracks. Not yeah. the same. And so th- this technology is is just exploded in the last 10 years, let's say. And it was used in the Beatles Get Back movie when they tried to pull, you know, they had these recordings of them conversing, but they wanted to I- isolate John and Paul's conversation. Same technology. So it's unbelievably useful in yeah. movies and film and television yeah. and music. And boy, that's exciting.
1: It exciting. was really. Really cool. And then it was funny on the flight home. I was listening to uh, bubble trouble, the podcast, one of my favorites and, you know, with uh, will mm-hmm. page. Um, and they were interviewing her. So it was, <laughs> she's awesome. Um, we should get her and, and talk with her on, on this show, but a couple of other things really quickly. Um, our good friend, Garrett Levin from DEMA, uh, the digital media association. We've had him on the podcast. Sadly, he's stepping down. Yes, um, I yeah. And now I, I reached out to him. I, I'm really bummed, but I'm happy for him. He's got some new opportunities. But, um, when I went to Nashville this last week, he sent me a note saying, um, Hey, I'd like you to meet, uh, Sally Rose Larson. Um, she's the VP of government relations and public affairs at DEMA. And I said, sure. So we, we met up and, uh, we talked for two hours (laughs) and it was fantastic. We had just such a great conversation. Um, honored that she listens to the podcast. Um, she was the, uh, chief of staff for a, um, a Senator from Georgia for years she's super smart, super passionate about music and uh it, it was one of the highlights of my trip. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, and one of the you know when we when you and I met Garrett in West Hollywood not not that long ago. Um you know, it's it's so interesting because these these people are super knowledgeable of course about music, but they also have these ridiculous policy chops, you know, and how to how to negotiate yeah. and navigate Washington D.C. and that's just so you know, it's it, it's pretty impressive when you're when you're chatting with these folks. Yeah, it is. They, little, they they uh, live
1: in a different world. For yeah, it's sure. a little foreign to the way that you know uh, maybe I think. So it was a really great trip. Um, got to spend some time with some really smart people and and uh, attend some really interesting panels. Um, and those ones that I was kind of the MC for that first one we should dig into because that's really our first story. And that was a. Tatiana Sirisano, who we've, we talk about a lot, you know, on this show and, uh, they did a story about the panel. Um, and that was the headline you already mentioned music streaming revenue growth expected to fall by, uh, or to 3% by 2029 says media research. And it's really interesting. I'd like to talk through some of the takeaways from that, um, presentation that Tatiana gave. It was it was amazing. And, and for me, since you and I talk about her a lot and some of the articles that she writes for media, it was really kind of a thrill to, you know, to, to talk with her. And totally. uh, actually, you know what, before we jump in um, b- before I forget, like I tend to do, let's thank our sponsors really quickly. I'm um, starting with uh Hypebot. Um, Since 2004, Hypebot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed and monetized. It's edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla. Hypebot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town.
0: And Bands in Town, over 74 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 560,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Big thanks to HypeBot and Bands in Town, and of course... Not only is Jay Gilbert a debonair man about town, but he, my buddy, is also a music business consultant. He's the curator of the weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal, Sony, and Warner Music Groups. And one would assume somebody who was racking up the frequent flyer miles. Between yeah, it's been here a little busy.
1: Nashville. Yeah. yeah, it's been a little busy lately. Um, and this gentleman sitting across from me, my dear friend, uh, Michael Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music Group. Capital EMI and Universal Music Groups. Yes,
0: indeed, indeed. So let's jump into this. And the, the kind of the sub headline on this is uh, as it says in as in a presentation at the Music Business conference, uh Crisano, Cristiano Crisano, Cristiano, that's what it is. I think it's Cirasano. I'm there sorry. You go. I think I, I could change be wrong. I want to change her name. Uh, said services like Spotify will lose cultural capital. Against competitors like TikTok, that's a very interesting phrase, cultural capital. Yeah, and and I get it. You know, it's uh, it's so true. Anyway, she said uh, she said in, in a presentation, uh, she revealed the company's predictions about the future of music streaming. Namely, the firm suspects that music streaming revenue growth, which has been in the double digits for years, will slow. That's right, slow to the single digits, eventually cooling off. From about ten percent growth uh, next year, twenty twenty four, to three percent growth in twenty twenty nine. Yeah, and it's already
1: that trending that way. Um, she had this slide, the first slide she went through, and it showed you know two thousand nineteen through twenty thirty, and mm-hmm. you can basically see that hill. You know, things are cooling down, you know, from kind of a high, uh, from 2021, maybe well, 2020 as well, kind of the pandemic years where there was this unusual 34% growth in 2020 and 37% growth, um, in 2021, of subscription, um, Um, streaming. And then it's just started to fall from there from, you know, 2022 is 20%, 2023 is 15% and so on and so on. And she thinks that by, you know, 2030, it's going to be very slow growth of about uh, 3%. So let's talk about some of the takeaways um, from this presentation. It's a, it's a wonderful presentation. I hope they, uh, they post it Um, I took a couple of snapshots of the screen while I was sitting there watching this. So I, uh, I didn't forget. And then of course, the piece um, that you're alluding to in billboard has a lot of these points too, but I'll take the first two uh, uh, takeaways from Tatiana. One is as music streaming reaches peak saturation in established markets, Revenue growth is slowing. Okay, we just touched on that. More artists are realizing streaming is neither a place to earn revenue nor connect meaningfully with their fans.
0: Wow. Yeah, so true. Uh, Also, so they are turning to platforms where they can build and monetize fandom and as a result, streaming has lost some of its cultural capital. There it is. The social. Yeah, right yeah. there. And that's, and that's I'm going to keep remembering that phrase, cultural capital. You yeah. Know, again, it's not the big, it's not the exciting big thing on the, on the block anymore. Right.
1: And for the first time, the entire industry is united in calling for a change to the streaming business model. But they don't all want the same change you know yeah, there are still exactly. pockets of streaming growth to be had but it's going to take genuine innovation to unlock them and again these are some of tatiana's key takeaways yeah and again like like kind of what she was saying a new generation of listeners want to play
0: an active role and new tech from tiktok to ai is meeting their needs while dsp's fall short mm. And they also go on saying streaming can evolve to better serve and monetize fandom and the self-expression that comes with it, kind of to the point
1: you were talking about with SoundCloud. Yeah. She said that if the music industry embraces this new quote-unquote creator culture, there is a world of opportunity for fan engagement and new revenue on the other side. Interesting. Interesting.
0: Well, you know, we will see where it goes. And this is, of course, the challenge when public companies, uh, you know, they... Something like this happens and then how do you, and, and of course there is some ownership from some of the majors with, with, uh, with some of the streaming services. So, man, it really, um, it, it puts them all on notice. How, how do you kind of, how can you change the decline or can you change the decline? Um, a lot of challenges moving forward.
1: And another few key takeaways in the do nothing scenario, streaming services will still survive and many have a plan B. But they will steadily decline in cultural capital, there's that again, and revenue growth. Right.
0: In the do-something scenario, there is substantial growth to be had via innovating the pricing model and experience, including monetizing fandom. Also, this combination of cultural and financial pressures is pushing streaming services to differentiate, serving their already distinct user bases. Well, there's a little bit of recommendation, right? To yeah. to, to maybe uh, change the traje- trajectory, um, but it's tough, you know. There's there is a, there is a finite base of 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 people in a given country, and yes, you can keep expanding out, but you know how soon until you reach that plateau where there's just not a lot of new user growth, yeah. And, They kind of address, you know, when that likely will happen in the numbers and we'll see if that in fact is, is where it goes. But sure, sure seems like
1: that is a, a rational expectation as we move forward. Yeah. And I, I highly recommend folks check out media research and their reports. It's just unparalleled in the music industry. And the last thing I'll say on this, um, on the story, um, which is kind of that recap of that presentation at the music biz conference that, um, that Tatiana says that, you know, this is all kind of marking a change in appetite from the isolating and hyper personalized, highly personalized nature of today's popular music streaming services. Quote, this new generation wants to be more actively involved in music. I think you're going to have an advantage if you're an artist that is comfortable with engaging with your fans. I uh, couldn't agree right. more. Right. Great job, yeah. Uh, Tatiana. Yeah.
0: Good stuff. Interesting. And, uh, Things to mull over as we move forward. Yeah. Well, the next story was really interesting, also, Jay, from Rick Biotto. The insider Spotify data is mind blowing. So this is a YouTube video mm-hmm. actually, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be Rick for a minute and talk about some of the things he mentions. Yeah. But, uh, really interesting concepts and. Uh, you know he's so inquisitive. I mean, if you if you don't follow Rick, he's a very interesting chap and and has a lot of interesting takes on this stuff. So I'll let you start. Well, it's but one of my that.
1: favorite um, YouTube yeah. stars. I, I watch everything he does. It's just he comes at the industry from a very knowledgeable point and I always learn things from his videos and some of them are entertaining and some of them are educational, but they're, they're all great. Anyway, um, the title of this video on YouTube from Rick Beato, the insider Spotify data is mind blowing and it's only two minutes, 35 seconds. But, um, I pulled a few notes, um, from this video that I think will kind of, uh, highlight everything. Um, and this is uh, Rick's words, not mine. Um, I saw something in the news last week that Apple music had its first song over a billion plays, um, which was the shape of you by Ed Sheeran. And I thought it's kind of weird because Spotify and YouTube have had many songs, you know, with a billion plays. Um, I looked it up and each have over 400 songs with over a billion plays. And I thought, well, Apple Music's been around since 2015. Spotify's been around since 2008. YouTube since, what, 2005, 2006. It's not surprising they have bigger numbers.
0: And then Rick goes on to say, so then I thought, well, why don't I download the API, which is the information available for developers from Spotify? Because they give it to you, and it shows you a list of the top 500 artists. It shows you how many monthly listeners they have. A monthly listener is someone that's listened within the last 28 days, and a listen is constituted by 30 seconds of listening to a song. Okay, let's take a look at the demographics from Spotify.
1: Okay, let's do it. 54% of Spotify listeners are between 18 and 34. The rest of them, 46%, are between 35 and, let's say, 100. Okay, what about the gender demographics? 56% are female on Spotify and 44% are male. So what are the top artists by monthly listeners? Remember it's people that have listened in the last 28 days. Number one on the list is The Weeknd with 108 million monthly listeners. That's not surprising. What's surprising is Ed Sheeran is number two at 86 million. And what's surprising about that is that the weekend is 20% higher than Ed Sheeran in monthly listeners.
0: So he goes on saying that's a lot. So 22 million more is almost as many monthly listeners as the Beatles have. The difference between 1 and 2. That's shocking. Then you have Taylor Swift, Miley Cyrus, Rihanna, <laughs> Rihanna, Justin Bieber, Shakira, Ariana Grande, David Greta, and Bad Bunny to round out the top 10. Bad Bunny has 71 million monthly listeners. Pretty, pretty interesting. Then I decided to divide this up into genre. So I took the top 40 artists. 45% of them are pop artists. 30% are rap artists then coming in at 7.5% are both EDM and pop rock artists we'll talk about that in a second 5% are R&B and
1: 5% are Latin pop that's surprising to me i would have thought you know latin would have been a lot higher you know there, me too. and he goes on to talk about how there's very little rock and very little metal you know as far as uh, being in that that top list he then created a chart as to when these artists released their first record and when it came to prominence. This is interesting. And this is this is it, 57.6% were from 2010 to 2020, 37% from the year 2000 on, and only 5% were from 1990 on. The only people that came up in the 1990s that were in the top 40 at all were Eminem and Shakira. Those are the only people. The, the really interesting thing is that no one from the last three years is on this list. Okay, so where are the big TikTokers on here, right? Uh, you hear yeah. TikTok drives the music industry, drives Spotify. Where are they? Right.
0: Playlists drive this, drives that. It's the only place you can make money by having a viral video on TikTok. Well, there is no TikTokers in the top 40 in the charts on Spotify. To find somebody that really broke big on TikTok, just TikTok, nowhere else, it's Jake. Yeah. Now, Jake has 30,763,000 monthly listeners, wow. and he's number 19 on the Spotify charts. Well, you know what he says? Number 20 is the
1: Beatles. It's (laughs) unbelievable. The Beatles are number 20. That's below Jake. So Rick goes on to say, now I just made this video where I said, a artists are going to be able to be developed by record labels and by streaming platforms like Apple and Spotify. But it's not going to be that easy if you look at this list. Why? Because it took years for these artists to get to the top of that platform.
0: Right. Ed Sheeran, even The weekend, Taylor Swift. These people have been around for a very long time. They really have. Miley Cyrus, he says, I mean a long time. Justin Bieber, they've been around forever. They need to develop live followings. They need to be real people to interact with their fans. And that's the one thing about AI artists is that they're not going to be able to really interact with their fans, at least on the human level, he yeah, says. Yeah, and he,
1: he wraps it up by saying, so for all the people that are worried about AI taking over, I think this list is pretty telling. Uh, that doesn't mean that AI artists can't come in because the pop music is easiest to be mimicked by AI. But I wouldn't be too worried about it if I were an artist out there today. There, there are other areas that I would be way more worried about than the music sphere. So really great video. If you don't follow Rick Beato, you need to... It is just one of the best things on the internet. I wish I had more time to <laughs> dig deep and watch all those videos because they're always great. Oh my God,
0: I have I have gone down the rabbit hole with repeating videos so many times. Well, he's you know he's a producer, he's a songwriter, he's a great musician, and you know he so he knows all about the the record making process and stuff in studios and then he's taking on he's actually doing a lot more business stuff of course now like these things and then he's also doing these great artist interviews with staying and with a lot of different different folks so it's yeah. a it's a worthwhile channel and he's uh he's a very entertaining cat but you know this this also story uh, for me anyway highlights the different ways to parse data to yeah. come to conclusions. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it is just mind-numbing yeah. how, di- how there are different ways to look at stuff like this. But this really provides a really interesting perspective yeah. on, again, this, you know, and, and we've talked about this so much on the
1: show, artist development. Yeah. You know, it's still a thing. and It takes time. It takes time time and money and a little bit of luck. Um, You had mentioned how, you know, he's a producer, engineer, musician, you know, pundit, all of those things. There's very few people out there like that, that have that skill set. And one of them is Bobby Osinski, who we absolutely love his blog and newsletter. And um, you and I were talking earlier about this uh, TED talk that Bobby hipped us to via his blog and newsletter. And it was mm-hmm. by Damien Real, and the headline of the video, uh, the TED Talk, was "Here's why all melodies should be free." Um, and I found this really interesting because you know they talk about you know George Harrison getting sued for you know he's so uh, well, it was "My Sweet Lord," and then the chiffons, he's so fine. But Ed Sheeran recently, um, and the kind of the sub headline here, and then I want to play you a little bit of that is evoke a familiar tune in a song and get slapped with a lawsuit it's a tale almost as old as copyright itself and uh, l- l- let's talk about that a little bit
0: yeah well and let's talk about Damien too for a second and first of all he's an attorney <laughs> he's also a musician and a producer and an engineer and then he's also a coder you know mm-hmm. so this guy comes at it from a really interesting perspective. And he digs into why owning a melody is a ludicrous legal assertion <laughs> and composes a radical solution for the musical woes of songwriters everywhere.
1: Oh, my gosh. This video blew my mind. Thank you, Bobby, for putting this uh, up for everybody. Um, so we're just going to play you two minutes of this 16-minute uh, video, but I highly recommend you check it out. Again, it's uh, Damien Real. Here's why all melodies should be free. Let's listen in to Damien Reel's TED Talk.
2: Now think about your favorite musician getting sued, and that lawyer saying, I represent this group, I think you heard their song, and then you wrote your song, you violated their copyright. And imagine your musician saying, no, that's not true, I, I don't think I've ever heard that song, but even if I did, I certainly wasn't thinking about them when I made my song. Imagine the case going to trial and a judge saying, you know, I think I believe you, musician, I don't think you consciously copied that group, but what I think did happen is you subconsciously copied them you violated the copyright, and you have to pay them a lot of money. Now, this is a different way of thinking about music in a way that judges and lawyers haven't thought about, nor have musicians, because when those groups have thought about musicians, they think about them drawing from their own creative wellspring, bringing from nothing something into the world. They have a blank page upon which they can put their creativity. But that's actually not true. We came to a realization that you may have had saying, you know that new song? That sounds a lot like this other old song. And there's a reason for that. We've discovered that there is only so many melodies. There are only so many notes that can be arranged in so many ways. And that's different than, say, visual art, where there are an infinite number of brushstrokes and an infinite number of colors and an infinite number of subjects that to accidentally do them is very difficult. Similarly with language, the English language has 117,000 words in it. So the odds of accidentally writing the same paragraph are next to zero. In contrast, music doesn't have 117,000 words. Music has eight notes. Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And every popular melody that's ever existed and ever can exist is those eight notes. So I approached my colleague Noah. I said, Noah, can you write an algorithm to be able to march through every melody that's ever existed and ever can exist? He said, yeah, I could do that. (laughs) So at a rate of 300,000 melodies per second, he wrote a program to write to disk every melody that's ever existed and ever can exist. And in my hand right now, is every melody that's ever existed and ever can exist. And the thing is, to be copyrighted, you don't have to do anything formal. As soon as it's written to a fixed, tangible medium, this hard drive, it's copyrighted automatically. Now, this leaves copyright law with a very interesting question. Because you think about the world before, and songwriters had to avoid every song that's ever been written and read. No and I have exhausted the entire melodic copyright. So if you superimpose the songs that have been written and read with the songs that haven't yet been written, you have an interesting question. Have we infringed every melody that's ever been? And in the future, every songwriter that writes in the green spots, have they infringed us?
0: Yeah, you know, I went back and watched it twice uh, because it's really fascinating. And to the, 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 the methodology, if you, know, it's, you have to watch the whole thing. I guess that's, that's really what I'm saying. But yeah. the methodology he used is fascinating and very creative and very clever. And, you know, I mean, he he brings up a, such a valid point in that, you, you know, when, you, when you're you talking about writing or painting or things like that, which are very unique yeah. activities. And then limitless, you know, we've limitless, whereas music, you know, and he talks about the, the major scale with the, with only eight tones in it. And, you know, there's, there's just so few to, in, in Western music
1: anyway. You know, you're it's not a lot of notes. And well, let me ask you, because you're a you're a yeah. pianist. Um, there are eight notes, but if you count like flats and sharps, there's like, there's only like 12, right? I mean, am I 12? missing? Yeah. So no, if you no, do no. that for different octaves, that is really limited to the number of melodies. And so his kind of algorithm that he and his partner put together basically found every melody that ever was or ever could be and all these different keys. And I highly encourage you to listen to this because If you're writing a song today, it's going to be really challenging not to hit some of those patterns, some of those melodies that have already been written over the history of music.
0: And as he mentioned, you know, it's it's not if 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 you've got like 50 plays on Spotify, nobody cares. But it's typically what happens is somebody has a pop success and and that's who gets sued and mm-hmm. he gives a couple of examples in there as well. I mean, it's it's a really interesting, one of the more interesting things we've talked about, or I've certainly seen on a TED Talk lately, and uh, yeah.
1: highly recommended going back and checking There've it out. There've been a it's couple really of good. TED Talks that you and I talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Holly yeah. Plus last week, Holly yes, Herndon. that's right, that was a that, great one. that technology which, you know, it can take her voice and put it in any language. Um, it's just, it's absolutely stunning. And I know we talk about AI a lot, but you and I, before we hit record, we were talking to a friend of ours uh, about it. That you really need to stop talking about AI because AI is in everything that we do today, whether it's in films and TV and everything. It's just it's a tool that everyone's using, and of course now a lot of people are becoming aware of it for the first time because of Chat GPT and some of these deep fakes. But uh, it's super interesting when you talk about this Damien Real uh, TED Talk because he's basically saying we need to stop suing each other because just because it's similar to that other melody doesn't mean that it's plagiarism. Right,
0: exactly. And I, and I was, it, I was speaking of AI again. I was thinking back to, I remember when I got uh, the Queen album, Night of the Opera. And if you look in the, in the, uh, in the little liner notes there, they meant they had a, a line in there. It said no synthesizers. And um, I think they did that. If I'm not mistaken on Three albums, like maybe Queen Two, Sheer Heart Attack, and A Night at the Opera, because synthesizers were kind of coming into play at the time. Yeah, and I'm wondering if we're going to start seeing things like that, saying "No AI" <laughs> on people's <laughs> records. You know, just being very specific. Uh, yeah, like it's all natural.
1: Not, you know, on your food. Yes. Uh, um, packaging. <laughs> exactly. you know, no AI <laughs> whatsoever. Natural we, fruit we, juices.
0: We, we need. We need a stamp of some sort that uh, <laughs> that verifies that there is no AI. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like like, but uh, to your point, you know, everything now. Whether it's in television and movies and and everything is there's so much AI. It's almost like it's not worth even saying because it's yeah. being used everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about our last story, Jay from Billboard. The music business is finally starting to pay attention to streaming fraud. Yeah, and this is another big one, and this is actually shocking. And and there was a conf- there was a, a uh, three panels at the music biz conference uh, uh, de- devoted to this issue. And, uh, which attorney Mona Simonian said is financially impacting everyone in the industry. And boy, that is an understatement,
1: isn't it? It sure is. It's such a big problem. And without going off on a rant, I'll just, you know, you know, my opinion on it. I think we should get rid of those play counts on YouTube and Spotify. Um, you really don't see them on many of the other platforms, you know, like Apple music. Um, I think that it is. It causes some people to try to game the system, because if you're being judged on those numbers, and maybe somebody's looking to put you in a festival or whatever it is, it's like a scorecard, and it's yeah. very misleading because it doesn't incorporate how much engagement is it lean forward, is it lean back, you know? It it's just one metric and standing on its own. It, it causes people to try to game that number, and there's a lot of ways that uh, people do it. Um, this piece, by by the way, is written by one of our favorite writers over at Billboard, Elias Light.
0: Yes, indeed. Absolutely. And so it, it kind of starts off saying, um, this is... Uh, really interesting article. It said, last year, Pandora started to get suspicious about the streaming activity of a prominent prominent act. That's what's really interesting, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, George White, who's the senior VP of music licensing at SiriusXM and Pandora, uh, said, this is a top artist by every measure. Some of the interest from Pandora users was clearly genuine, but at the same time, the platform picked up abnormalities, lots of quick skips, White noted, and very unusual racial of radio listening to premium listening, along with social media sites actively posting tutorials for how to game the Pandora system and teaching potential users how to drive those streams even higher. Yeah. And he said, This is a challenging and more difficult, uh, he said, This is challenging and more difficult to, de- to detect because it's under a background of legitimate activity. And he said that Pandora is seeing more of this type of behavior
1: around established artists, which is wild. Yeah. So George White was one of 11 different speakers across a two hour, three panel extravaganza. You know, it covered a lot of ground. Um, And again, this is at Music Biz in Nashville last week. And it covered a lot of ground, like jumping from bot farms, you know, all the way to thieves falsely claiming publishing. We see that all the time um, on songs to collect money that belong to somebody else. The tone stayed upbeat, though, and the message was glum and occasionally paranoia-inducing, with lots of talk about cyber criminals hacking into accounts of innocent, unsuspecting users for nefarious purposes.
0: Yeah, Mona Simonian, who's a partner at the entertainment law firm uh, Prior Cashman, said, we've been seeing lately that as technology advances, the fraud is supercharged. Uh, It's important that people start really recognizing how much money is at stake here, she added. Um, uh, and you know, when we're talking, I'm, uh, I'm going to let you try to pronounce that last name oh because that's a name, <laughs> Schumann <laughs> Gosmanjumder.
1: I'm so Ooh, sorry. Good for you. Wow. That's a big name. That's Google's former, uh, click fraud czar. <laughs> Her real title is head of global product and trust for, and safety. You know, she put it, you know, it's always a bit scary before you get your arms around the problem.
0: Yes it says it goes on to say, while some panels stay general, these three sessions an interview with with her and uh, about the ubiquity of fraud fifty two flavors of fraud and fraud use cases, what can we do?" brought some hard numbers to a fraud conversation that, also, that often remains frustratingly diffuse because the behavior is difficult to quantify. Uh, White uh, had his Pandora case study, and Andrew Beatty, co-founder and co-CEO of the fraud detection company BeatDap, came armed with numerous examples and a boatload of graphs. There was the account that recorded 33,500 plays in one week, The average user has a few hundred to a thousand plays a week, uh, Beatty said. There was the user with 96 devices playing from 47 cities and 17 countries in the same week. A geographically impossibility for even the most devoted jet setter, as they say. There was a group of thousands of accounts all targeting the same songs with 150-ish plays a week and the batch of 53,000 accounts playing around a dozen acts. To camouflage the one artist
1: whose numbers they're
0: actually trying to inflate. Yeah. So, man, you talk about all these creative and wily ways of gaming the system. Yeah,
1: and you talked about Beat Dap, and we've we've reported on some of the work that they're doing. Um, if you want to learn more, you know, Google Beat Dap. Um, they've been doing some great things at identifying um, how these people are gaming the system and we mentioned there was an upbeat mood you know even though it was kind of grim news and that's because for years many executives in the music industry especially in the US they weren't really willing to publicly acknowledge that that fraud is a problem they, they just wouldn't acknowledge it and the fact that there was a 120 minute block Enough time to watch two episodes of Succession, quipped Beat Dapp, <laughs> co-founder Morgan Heideck, uh devoted to the topic at a major music business conference. That's really indicative of an attitude shift. He said, I'm so happy there's a room full of people talking about fraud. Yeah, absolutely. It says, while recent
0: studies have concluded that around 80% of fraud is financially motivated, grifters running bot networks to white noise recordings, for example, rather than the work of actual artists, uh, they say, they go on to say, we've seen enormous strides in identifying that activity really early. They said, I won't say that that's in control. It's an issue that requires ongoing investment. But at least it's something we feel like we have a handle on. But the fact that, you know, I, and when you imagine and think about and have conversations about this topic, I tend to go back to it's it's mostly, you know, developing acts, young acts, people just new to the, to the platform, but it's really not. I mean, when you talk about some of these, as they go on to say, sort of well-established acts participating in this, I mean, that's a... That's a big gamble because as you've said many times, once they find it,
1: you're off, you're gone. Yeah. They'll pull and you down for a period. They'll it's, pull you down. It's, it's really dangerous, but it's it's not real. And that's what we tell people all the time yeah. is, and it's pretty easy to see when you're gaming the system with bots and spin farms, you know, um, you look at the data. I always look at vibrate because they have this chart that shows, you know, engagement along with increases in audience. And if you get an increase in audience, you know, meaning spins, um, or follows or likes, but then you're not getting actual engagement because of it. Um, people can see that, you know, we look at YouTube videos sometimes and it's great that you have a video that has a lot of views Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, I wish they didn't have the number there, but I get it. Um, but I would rather have one that has a lot of comments, a lot of engagement, a lot of shares, um, a lot of multiple listening and, um, You know, you can go into Google uh, or I'm sorry, uh, YouTube analytics on any of your videos and see kind of how that behavior is because you get paid on 30 seconds. So there's always a line in that graph. And, you know, we've mentioned this before. It typically you lose, you know, a third of your audience by the time you get to that 30 second mark. Um, And it's, it's really challenging uh, to people don't have the attention span that they used to. Um, but I think it's it's also really important that you're sort of looking at that data and and uh, creating music and videos that grab people's attention and their comments and their engagement, and not trying to game the system with you know fake streams, uh, fake likes, you know that sort of thing.
0: Do you ever envision a situation or a scenario where Spotify does not show those? those those broad numbers of spins
1: i i wish they would get there i don't see any incentive for it because they're one of the only platforms that does that and since they're the largest streaming platform you know if you put youtube aside um as far as a dsp not including youtube they can boast um you know those huge numbers some of these uh you know, people we talk about like bad bunny or even any of those that you mentioned in, in Rick Beato's piece, that top 10, some of them have hundreds and hundreds of millions of streams. And as he mentioned, some of them have billions of streams and it it's that McDonald's sign again, right? Uh, 50 Mm -hmm. billion trillion, whatever served. It's a, it's an ego thing. It's, but it's really kind of meaningless. I would rather have that progress bar that Apple has, Apple Music has because it shows you the most popular tracks, which is great. You want to know what are the most popular tracks by certain artists without getting into that uh, that game of how many spins it is. Well, and one thing I I, I
0: I thought to ask just now, I should have asked you back when we were talking about the story, uh, this will require you looking into your crystal ball again. But, you know, when we talk about the sort of screen, the streaming saturation and moving forward, you know, let's get let's let's kind of analyze that just for a second. So, in that scenario, you know, we talk about Google and Apple Music. They don't need this business. The one company that does need this business is Spotify. So, as we get to let's say twenty thirty, and those numbers when suddenly streaming is is call it saturated for the most part. You know, what does Spotify do? They are the only ones that really need this business because it's their only business. That's a
1: good point. You know, look, does Apple and Google and Amazon, do they love um, being competitive in the music space? Absolutely. But if it went away tomorrow, they wouldn't be out of business. And to your point, um, Spotify and some of these other platforms, it's their core business. So what are they doing? You know, maybe it's audiobooks and podcasts, you know, maybe it's trying to get more repertoire, whether it's AI created or not into a lot of these playlists and starting with things like, you know, mood and rain sounds and new agey kind of music and just getting more, uh, of that type of content up. But as Tatiana talked about during her presentation, there are other ways that they can differentiate themselves. And maybe it's with, you know, their collaboration, you know, with Shopify and getting a lot more merch on there. Maybe it's, you know, with tickets, um, it could be things like experiences. Um, there's all sorts of ways that this can become this bigger ecosystem, because as she points out, there are super fans, I mean just crazy super fans you and i are super fans of certain artists and we want to support them whether you have a turntable or not you'll buy the vinyl you know with taylor swift fans buying the cassette you know we're supporting our favorite artists by doing uh, some of these things and she points out that that's being underutilized that we need to really think of that fan mentality and give the fans what they want. It's not about exploiting fans. I don't feel exploited when my favorite artist has vinyl and merch and opportunities like that or maybe it's a paid meet and greet or a stage played instrument or whatever it is. I think we that's what my prediction is, you know, for the coming, you know, 5 years is a real focus on beyond the streaming itself. And what other value can we provide for those super fans that they'll support? Yeah. Well, to be continued, Jay. This is a conversation that will
0: not stop. So, uh, on behalf of my good friend Jay Gilbert, let me uh, say thank you for all of the folks that listen in. We could not be more grateful and appreciative. And Jay bumped into so many uh, listeners at the Music Biz Conference, and it was so uh, good. It is always so gratifying to uh, to do that. Also, want a big, 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 big thanks to our good friends Hypebot and Bands in Town for helping us do the show together. And on that note, Jay and I will call it a day on episode 145. Thanks for listening in. We will see you next time on the Your Morning Coffee podcast.
1: You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.